Let's read the scriptures together. If you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to read from the epistle of 1 John. If you would like to follow along and don't have a Bible, you should find one in the seat right in front of you. I'll give you a moment to find it. 1 John is right near the back of the Bible. If you go to the book of Revelation and turn left, uh, you'll quickly come across the, the book of 1 John. I'm going to read from the fourth chapter, beginning at the seventh verse. If you're visiting with us this morning, I'd like to welcome you. Uh, by way of explanation, our lead pastor, Pastor Paul, is away on a sabbatical. And so this has given us the opportunity uh, for our church to have different people come and preach for us and, and with us. And so this morning we are privileged to have our regional director, uh, David Harita. Uh, we are a fellowship church, uh, part of a fellowship of churches across Canada. And David serves uh, both as a pastor and uh, but right now currently as our regional Feb Pacific director. So we look forward to having him come speak to us in just a moment. First John 4, verse 7. Would you please give your full attention to the Word of God? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Great to be here with you. Fellowship Pacific is a group of about 100 churches, as uh, some of you will know, and it was encouraging to hear what you're doing with VBS. I encourage you to be involved in that along with Christina. When she asked you to get that opportunity, it's a great way for you to communicate love, actually, to your community. So between our churches, 100 churches, and our camps, Quano, Sunnybrae, Marsh Lake, and others, probably about 20,000 kids will hear the gospel of Christ this summer, which is pretty exciting, actually, across our region. So sometimes we think of ourselves in very small, little isolated entities. Truth is, what God is doing in a much bigger way, just within our own circle of churches, and then, of course, within Christ-centered churches beyond that. Um, between all of them, there'll be hundreds of thousands of kids actually in BC this summer, which is great, and you should be praying for that throughout all of that. We also get the opportunity together to help in different ways, and today's sermon is really just a simple one-word sermon. It's as simple as it gets for midsummer, so as not to confuse you in any way. It's just about love. One word that can change your life and others' life the word love. One of the ways we do that is by things that we do together. So, for example, uh, some of you may know that one of our churches in Vancouver, Faith Baptist, started an agency a number of years ago, New Hope Community Services, which is a fellowship agency now, which just this past January was able to purchase an apartment in Wally area of Surrey for 15 refugee families, and they were able to do that because of another group, Baptist Housing, which is another one of our groups who wrote them a check for a million dollars to help them actually buy an apartment building to serve 15 different families, which is pretty great. 
overall, and we do that because of love. Love for people and the love of God working through us. My small group that I lead in a different church in Langley, which is a church plant, Journey Church, uh, was at that refugee house last week actually providing a meal for all the 15 families just to get to know them a little, to welcome them to our country, and also to share a bit of the love of God with them because it's just about love. It's not much more complicated than that. So that's really what we're talking about today, love. It's one word that can honestly, legitimately change your life. And it can change the lives of people around you. And so as you sit there today, you might want to think of families that are new to our country. You might want to think of people in your own family that you feel ostracized from or separated from that you haven't spoken to in months or years and that could be a son or a daughter or a parent or a sibling. And one word that can change your life in that relationship is still love. You might think of a neighbor that you have that looks like they're alone and hurt, and one word can change that relationship and can change their life, and it's the word love. You might think of a coworker who's going through a really difficult time with health issues, with cancer, with some other kind of issue that's going on and they feel terrified and alone and you look at them and you're not sure what to say and there's one word that can change that relationship and change their life and it's real and it matters and it's not some fluffy out there word and it's the word love. Problem is when I say that in churches I recognize that it's kind of motherhood and apple pie for the Christian life. It's sort of like the entrance to it we talk love, 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 love. And we get it so we have kind of like a lilt to our voice, like love, 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 love. It's like talking to your dog. It's like blah, 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 blah. You think you're saying something great. Your dog looks at you like they're loving you with the big brown eyes and it's super sweet and they don't hear a thing you're saying. Sometimes that's true in church. I can say love, but we've heard it all before. We know it all before. Not sure how well it works. So let me reframe the question a little bit for you. Because the question I ask myself about this relative to the Christian life is this. If the concept of love is really that obvious, that basic, that fundamental to the Christian life, if it's motherhood and apple pie for the Christian love, Christian life, is love the word most associated with Jesus today? When you tell somebody you know that you are a follower of Jesus, do they immediately leap up with joy and say, you must be a loving person? Is that the word most associated with Jesus? And really, what we think about people is often connected with some word association. So we'll play a little word association game. Okay, this failed completely in the first service, but I'm sticking with it. So I'm counting heavily on you to actually yell out something. So we'll just do a practice word. Okay, let's say... Um, Hockey. That's like a hint, okay? Let's just say the word hockey. We're, we're weak, but we're better than the first group, so that's the good sign. Okay, here's word association. I'm going to show you a picture of somebody, and you just yell out the first word that pops to mind, okay? You ready? Okay, here's our first picture, Jim Benning. <laughs> okay, I got one Canucks. That's a step up from the first group, so... Jim Benning is the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. The Vancouver Canucks are a hockey team. You're in Canada. I'm ashamed of all of you. So, 
unless you're a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, in which case I just might not like you, and I'm going to have to rework my whole love sermon to include that and change my whole life. Okay, let's try somebody new. Word association number two. You ready? You getting with it? Okay. Trudeau. Too young. From you? <laughs> you're like six. So, <laughs> what do we get? Nice hair. Yeah, that's primarily what we see. That's a move up as well in the first service. They, yeah, they didn't have pictures that said Trudeau. They thought of Pierre Elliott, but there you go. <laughs> okay, let's try another one. What about the, this person? You know, you have American visitors today. <laughs> love, love, love. That's what I'm saying. Okay, how about this one? Servant. What other words? Humble. Okay, how about this one? Of course, we're assuming that's actually Jesus, which we don't really know. So the question I ask myself in a word, associ word association kind of way is, if the concept of love is really motherhood and apple pie for the Christian life, what word is people associating with this picture based on my life? Based on my life. The passage in 1 John, the last verse of it says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We are the living representation of Jesus to the people around us. We show what Jesus looks like. So it's a little bit daunting, a little bit scary, a little bit disconcerting, possibly downright upsetting, if the word that people have about Jesus is not love. Because it says something about us. It says something about you. It says something about me. It says something about Christianity in North America. So we live in a time when everything gets complicated, including living the Christian life. There's very few really simple aspects of the Christian life. We can talk about churches, belief systems, um, and they come in a variety of forms, styles, forms, all that kind of thing. We could argue about things as small as having kneeling benches or as large as the role of women in church. We could debate whether you use juice or wine in communion or we could debate the place and the work of the Holy Spirit and how that works. We can argue and do argue in North American Christianity about the very smallest things and also the really, really big things. And the more we know, the more we learn, the more complicated it seems to become. And so I find it quite amazing that when you actually come to the Bible, whereas we make the Christian life very complex, very religious, Jesus made it very simple and very non-religious. In fact, this is what Jesus made it. A new command I give you. Love one another. Love one another. If we're going to understand the Christian life, then we have to learn this. It is always, in every way, about love. and it shouldn't be boring, and it shouldn't be commonplace, and it shouldn't be something we disregard. It is always in every way about love. And let me just make this point clear before we move on. One of those debates in recent days within 
evangelical Christianity in North America is about existence of hell and love, and those two things seem to be um, at odds with one another. Just to be clear, that is not what this discussion is about at all. In our family of churches, we absolutely believe in the existence of hell, and next week, Barry will do a sermon on how love and hell work together. <laughs> you on that, Barry? Okay, that's not what we're talking about today. I just don't want you confused about what it is I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is so very simple. Love is the overpowering reality of the Christian life. It needs to be, and sufficiently so, that anybody who hears of Jesus, that should be the first word they think. The best-known verse in the world, regardless of religious background, is still John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Love is the greatest of Christian virtues. The Roman church was taught that love is the fulfillment of the law. Paul would write to the Corinthian church, and those of you who know the letter to the Corinthians know it's structured on a whole series of issues, debates, arguments they were having in the church. And so Paul would say, now about this topic, food, sacrifice, idols. Now about this topic. Now about this topic. This is how you resolve it. This is how you resolve it. In the middle of all those in 1 Corinthians 13, this chapter comes that we know as the love chapter, which talks all about love, and it's in the middle of a debate about charismatic issues, about speaking in tongues versus not, prophecy versus not, all that kind of thing, and Paul says, hold it, hold it, hold it. Remember, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. To the Galatian church that was arguing about religion and what religious rules you have to follow or not follow in the freedom that comes through Christ, he would say the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. To the Ephesian church, he would say, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. To the Philippian church, he would say, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Your love may abound in that. He'd say to the Colossian church, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, forgive each other, and over all those virtues put on love, which binds them together in unity. The Thessalonian churches, he'd say, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love. To Timothy, he'd say, look, here's all the rules on how you operate a church, but the goal of these commands is love. The concept of love should be pervasive in the Christian life because love is the essential nature of God. There's no avoiding it in God. The Bible only has three statements about what God is. Absolute statements of the nature of God. It says that God is spirit. God is light. And God is love. It's the essential nature of God. It is built into him to love so you put a fish in water and it swims. You don't need to give lessons. You don't need to train it. You don't need to teach it. It just swims. It's in its nature. You buy a Pomeranian dog. It's going to start yapping. You're going to hate it by the time you've had it two weeks. It's in its nature and it's also in yours. That's the way that's going to work. You walk into a mall with three teenage daughters. They want your credit card. It is in their nature. You walk into a mall with three sons, which is what I have. They want to go to Sharper Image, sit there in those massage chairs with the little remote controls the entire time till you're done shopping. It is in their nature to want to do that. 
You have God in the universe with people that he created, that he knew before the foundation of the earth, and God loves, because it is his nature. It is central to his interaction with every one of us, with every person, with any person you will ever set your eyes on. It is basic to God. There's only three words in the Bible about love, although there were many more in the ancient world. Three of them that we know and use frequently, eros, which is taken from Greek mythology, it's the god of love, it's a word where we get erotic, it's a sexual kind of love that seeks to satisfy itself. Another word for love is philos, we get our word Philadelphia, our city Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love from that, it's a friendly kind of a love. And agape, which is the word that gets used for the love of God for people, is what we see most often, the kind of love that God has for us, that God wants us to express to others. It's a love that's fueled by the needs of others rather than my own, my own needs. It's a love that is sacrificial and is action-oriented. It goes out to make a difference. And it's the kind of love God first showed to us. And it's described in an old song. We still sing it today. It was written originally in 1050 as a Jewish poem. It was rewritten again in 1917. It was rewritten again in the last 10 years. And it says these words, To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky, the love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless, how strong. It's a love that is supernatural, life-changing, difference-making, and it is God's love for us. It's the kind of love that led Jesus to the cross. It's the kind of love that nailed our sin to the cross is the kind of love that washes guilt away when we commit ourselves to Jesus Christ as our Lord, our Savior. It's the kind of love that sets people free, and it ought to be, and it needs to be, the first word that comes to our mind when we think of Jesus, and it ought to be, and it needs to be, the first word that comes to mind when people see Jesus in us. But it's not. not. Now it is in many cases, but not in the general sense of our society today, certainly. And for each of us, I think that ought to be something that gives us pause. Make us wonder. Because when we say that understanding the Christian life is always in every way about love, it's more than just a theoretical understanding. It's not just what we have in our head. It's what we do. It's the way we live every day. Because living the Christian life is also always in every way about love. It's the foundation of every action. It's at the basis of Jesus' teaching about living the Christian life. And Jesus would say it this way, and you guys know this so well. He was confronted in Matthew 22 by an expert in religious law who was trying to trip him up, had his own ideas on how things would work. And Jesus, in the end, says, look, all the law comes down to this. This is what you need to know. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. No surprise. Because God is love. It's in his nature to love. It is foundational to who he is. So when we scrub away all the religious talk, when we wash away all the superficial arguments, all the detail arguments, and even the big arguments, living the Christian life, our action, Jesus says, comes down to this. Love God, love people. If you get nothing else, love God, 
love people. And if you do that, you fulfill the law. You fulfill it all. So in the complexity of the Christian life today, with all the options, all the decisions, all the arguments, all the opportunities, Jesus' message is incredibly simple. And if you forgive me for a second, because it feels a little bit like Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, I've had the opportunity, and many of you have, I know as well, to do most things that can be done in the church world within North America. Been on lots of mission trips. Finished lots of degrees. Taught Bible school courses. Consulted for about 100 or more churches in the last three or four years alone. Planted a church. And I've been in endless committee meetings. Committee meeting after 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 committee meeting, which is the definition of Christianity in North America. That's how you know you're a good Christian. Been involved in all the debates and just finished about my 2,000 plus sermon. And incidentally, my first ever sermon was done in Parksville Baptist Church. Just so you know, no, 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 no applause. Trust me, it wasn't that pretty. So <laughs> I was 14 or so, somewhere around 14, and I was in Central Baptist Church in Victoria in a thing called Boys Brigade. And the guy who was running it decided that we should do a church service for Parksville. And it's the old building that you had. It's like a brown building on the main street there somewhere that the Legion owns now, I hear. Does that sound right? How many of you ever went there? <laughs> so maybe you saw me. You don't know. Anyway, so <laughs> it was like entertainment. When I was done it, and it was a desperate, desperate sermon, desperate to be over with, that was basically a lady from the church came up to me, grabbed my cheek, and just well, you were so cute. <laughs> that was almost the end of my ministry career at 14, right there. My friends that were with me have never let me forget it. In all of that, this is what I've learned. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. But even that's more difficult than it sounds. It's simple, very simple, but also difficult. Loving God's more difficult than it seems because we have trouble often loving the people right in front of us who are right there that we see every day. Even understanding what it means to communicate love is sort of difficult. My son, who's 28, got married in May. I found it was direct evidence of the existence of God because I was pretty sure he would never get married. <laughs> there is no shot that that was going to happen. He's a computer engineer. No offense to any of you who are computer engineers, but emotional quotient is not his strongest asset. So when he was in high school, on Valentine's Day, people, girls in the class would get flowers delivered to them, and he'd come home and he'd say, you should have seen it. This girl got like a dozen roses. That's like 50 bucks. He'd say, all you have to do is look at the statistics. The odds of him marrying the person he goes out with in high school are next to nothing. What a bad investment. <laughs> He's married. Who knew? God is that big. That's what I'm saying. Right there. It's hard to understand this concept of communicating love. I've tried to communicate it with my wife. I think of gifts. I try and think, okay, how can I share love with her? I've already got her an electric knife, a crock pot, a toaster, a new frying pan, slippers, got more bathrobes than she needs. Super easy. 
even more difficult with God, isn't it? God is light. God is love. God is spirit. And sometimes that God is spirit part gets in the way, makes it difficult to have a tangible love for God where it really does fill the heart, the soul, the mind. When it isn't something we talk about, we come to church, go in and out, and we say, oh yeah, I do that, but then it doesn't really connect. And we can have moments and even hours and days, and for some of you, pretty much guaranteed in here, months, for whom that tangible love for God is hard to find, hard to put your finger on, hard to really place it. It's become so abstract. And yet God says, look, it's really complicated and all this stuff, but this is what it gets down to. Love God, love people. Got to make it real. How do we do that? It's not really complicated. It's not rocket science. It doesn't require a PhD. I've got friends I grew up with in Victoria. Uh, really good friends, a large group of them. Two of them stand out because two of them for now 40 years I've been going on a prayer retreat with twice a year. And so we go two or three days and we spend some time together. We talk about what's going on in our life. There's nothing hidden. There can't be. We've known each other since we were 14. They know everything there is to know about you. Good, bad, ugly. And we share that. We pray for each other. We uphold each other. Great times. There's the friends I don't ever see. There's the friends I go on prayer retreats. Which one is it easier to love? It's not rocket science. Do we love people we talk to or people we don't talk to? People we talk to. How do we talk to God? We pray. Do we love people we listen to and know their story or people we don't? People we know their story. How do we do that? We read God's word. Let it fill our heart. We meditate on it and let it fill us. We love people we spend time with, enjoyable time with in groups, or time people we don't spend any time with. Well, the people we spend time with, how do we do that? Sometimes church, sometimes small groups, sometimes with other believers, somewhere where we can enjoy God together. It's not rocket science. But we sometimes make it that. Love God, love people. Living the Christian life is about those two things. Loving people thing is also difficult. And it's difficult mostly because we make it difficult. Our world sells values and a way of looking at people, other people, in a way that's very different from the way God looks at other people. We live in an era where a person's value is often determined, or their value becomes the foundation for the love we give them rather than the love creating the value. So we give them a value. The higher their value, the easier it is to love them. The problem is the way we create that value is a very old game. We have a scorecard and we start ticking off certain things on that scorecard and the more things they have on the scorecard, the higher their value becomes. The total gets higher. And it's a pretty old game where we go through life scoring them on those different categories and it seems somehow, in spite of the fact that we don't want it to, that the higher we get on the value scale, the more worthy they are of love. Now, we don't like to admit that. We don't want to say that's actually true, but we know how these scorecards work, don't we? We know a person who has more money or less money, who gets heard. If Bill Gates decides he wants to address AIDS in Africa, and a person who is a prostitute in Africa decides, no, that's not the way it should be done, who do we listen to? The person with the billions. Education, more education or less, it's a scorecard issue. 
charm. Are they charming or are they difficult to talk to? The ones with a charm, higher scores, greater value. Person who looks better, higher value. Spiritual status, competency, celebrity status. All those kinds of things wrap into these scorecards. We go tick, 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 another 10, another 10, another 10. Higher score, greater value, more worthy of love. And it's a game everybody plays and we all know it and we're all pretending we don't. And as Christians, we shouldn't be doing it, but we still do. The world does it all the time. If a Vancouver Canuck player breaks his arm and another person breaks his arm, who gets the surgery first? Always. In real life. It's not a theory, it's just a reality. It's the way it goes. A beautiful woman walks in a room, an average-looking woman, who gets the attention in real life? Even issues as to created by the media start to affect us. So my small group I mentioned went and fed 50 people or so that are in this refugee apartment. Great thing, totally in favor of it, glad they want to do it. The only thing that crosses my mind is, okay, so you want to help refugees this year. Why didn't you last year? Were there no refugees last year? Well, there were. How about the year before? But right now, refugees in Canada is on the big media scale. We're ascribing it more value. Because we give it more value and a higher score, the people are more worthy of love. Now, I'd like to say that's not true in our small group. I'm happy to say we can actually talk about that there, about why that's true. Now, should we be caring for them? Of course we should. That's not my point. I hope you haven't missed my point on that. But love is so central, so absolutely at the heart of God, his essential nature, that those rules, our values perspective, is completely reversed. Instead of writing down the scorecard that says, here's the value total and is a person worthy of love, God says something else. He says his love is what creates the value. The death and the sacrifice of Jesus is what creates the value so that every person has the same level of importance to him and should to us. The sacrifice of Jesus infuses value to every single purpose. And the, or every single person. And the only way that we get to actually fulfill the love your neighbor mandate of God is when we start to value people the same way God does. It's not based on what the world scores them. It's based on what Jesus did for them. Sacrificial, giving love. Rather than seeking value, it attributes value. And it is so important if we're ever going to change the view of the world about Jesus going to be different in the way that we choose to live. John Ortberg, in a book, Love Beyond Reason, which is a little older book, great summer read, just sit out on your deck and read, because it's fun, he's funny, but he's got some pretty significant points. He talks about value, and he talks about a doll that his sister had. So John Ortberg's sister's name is Barbie. She had a doll whose name was Pandy, and that doll went everywhere with Barbie. Played with it all the time, took it with her Whenever she went anywhere, took her with her to bed, took her with her into the bath until it became nothing but a rag and began to fall apart. But that doll was so important to Barbie that when the Ortberg family, and they lived in Illinois, went to Ontario for vacation, they came back from vacation and realized they'd left this doll that was ripped to shreds, a rag of its former self, that when they had left, that they had left the doll in Ontario, they all got in the car, drove back to Ontario from Illinois to get it. In his book, he says there was never even a question why? Because this old beat-up doll 
was loved? Was it because it was worth it? Or was it because they had ascribed value to it? Which one? And it's a doll that their mother kept until Barbie had a little girl of her own. Then she took that doll to a doll hospital. Who knew that such things existed, but they apparently do. Outside San Francisco, where Pandy went through reconstructive surgery, facelift, liposuction, skin grafts, till she was as lovely again as she had always been in Barbie's eyes, so that the mother, their mother, could give it to Barbie's daughter. Why? Because they ascribed it value. The love that comes from God, the love that changes your life, has changed your life if you've given your life to Jesus. The kind of love that will change the life of your daughter, your son, your parents, your siblings, your friends, your neighbors, is a love that creates value. You don't look at them and say, what love are they giving? What do I get back out? You don't look at them at a scorecard and say, they're not this, they're not this, they do that, they don't do this. You look at them and you give to them the love that Jesus gave to you. It is in his nature. It's what he calls us to. It's what he calls you to. It is the one word that changes lives, yours, mine, and so many desperate people around us today. All you have to do is look at the news over the last two or three weeks to see how love needs to change the world. You look in Nice, France, and 84 people, or whatever the total was, that were killed. You look in Alberta last week where a mother and daughter were murdered. You look in Iraq. You look at Turkey where a coup occurred and people were killed. You look at the city of Coquitlam just last weekend where a mother and daughter were killed in a murder-suicide kind of thing. You look in line, you look in Parksville, you look in the neighbor next door, you look in the booth next to you at work. Anywhere you look, there are people who are desperate, desperate, desperate to have their lives changed. And there's only one word that will do it. And there's only one person who can give it. But you and I are the living representation of that person. And so if the world around us looks at our lives, at your life and my life, and they see Jesus through us, and they don't see love, then we need to shake up our life. It needs to be different. Paul said, if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but I don't love I'm nothing more than the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries, making everything plain as day, and if I have the faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor, and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, no matter what I believe, no matter what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. One word. It changes everything. Let's pray together. Father, we hear this word again. Word of love that you showered on us 
grace so fully undeserved. Love lived out on a cross. Our sins, our hate, nailed to that cross. And we don't even, uh, we can't sing enough, we can't say enough, and we will spend eternity giving you praise. And yet with that love comes a huge, huge responsibility. So Father, I pray for every person in this room, I pray for myself today, that you would again renew in us a deep, heartfelt appreciation of what we've been given and a deep, life-changing desire to see that gift shared with others. For the name, the glory, and the character of your Son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.